You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. opportunity to stand before you and share what God has put on my heart to share with you all. Um, As Pastor Josh mentioned, we are in the second week of our parable sermon series, and parables are defined as simple, oh no, sorry, just a sec. In the okay. Parables are defined as simple stories meant to illustrate moral or spiritual lessons, very similar to extended metaphors. And since Jesus was a big fan of using them as teaching tools, we are going to spend the next few weeks digging into them. And last week, Pastor Josh talked about the parable of the weeds how part of our Christian faith is a call to grow alongside people who are different from us, how we can't throw away people because we disagree with them and expect for humanity to survive. And that resonated with me a lot because as an abolitionist and someone whose day job is to end mass incarceration and someone who takes very literally Jesus' calling to set the prisoners free, I regularly say that throwing people away is not a solution. That we cannot throw people into cages, in jail or prison, or push them to the margins of society and expect for humanity to survive. We cannot erase or ignore people and expect for humanity to survive. I think that's why the subway announcements, why? Okay, we're gonna do it this way, sorry. Everyone's going to have to see my stickers. Uh, I think that's why the subway announcements that discourage people from giving to the poor have always felt like a punch in the gut to me. You know the announcements I'm talking about? And as I was Googling to try to find the exact language they used, I came across this New York Times article from January 11, 1994, with the headline, Subway Plan Acts Riders Not to Give to Beggars. Panhandlers face arrest. This is an act that is still being made and is in direct conflict with our parable for today. And that is the parable of the sheep and the goats. It is often referred to as a parable of judgment. My hope is that after this sermon, you won't see it that way. It is Jesus' final parable to the disciples before the cross. And he's talking about the end of days, which, given the past week, feels fitting. Uh, In Matthew, uh, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Lord, thank you for your word and your word made flesh. As we try to make sense of it today, I pray that we would grow closer to you and closer to each other. Amen. How many of you, if you've heard this before or are hearing it for the first time, tried to determine if you were the sheep or the goat in the story, right? Or thought about people you consider goats. In Kinship Cafe, which happens every Sunday after service, we've been talking about how the idea of hell as punishment feels satisfying sometimes because eventually we know that the bad people will get what's coming to them. I think it's normal to hear a story and try to figure out who you are in it. But what if this parable isn't an invitation for us to judge ourselves or others or to decide who is going to heaven or hell? What if it's a call to be heaven? To make everyone on this side of eternity as whole as possible. So we've been wrestling with the idea of hell for a while now. And a few weeks ago, Jonathan talked about how hell, when mentioned by Jesus, is in reference to an actual place called Gehenna, where children were sacrificed and over time it became a literal dumpster fire. It was where bodies of executed incarcerated people or individuals denied a proper burial or animals would be dumped. A valley outside of Jerusalem a place on the outskirts, on the margins. Are there Gehennas today? Where do we discard people? 
Who has been condemned to the outskirts, the margins? Maybe today Jesus would call Rikers Island Gehenna. I would. Rikers is in the East River, technically a part of the Bronx. It is on the outskirts. It is on the margins. It is where people are caged for being poor, sacrificed for power, where death and corruption of all kinds are covered up. What would be your Gehenna today? Is it a place or a culture or a policy or a relationship or a vibe? Is it the Heat winning the NBA championships? Is that good? Thank you. Okay. My dad asked me to incorporate the championship into the sermon. That was, that was the best I could do. <laughs> Um, C.S. Lewis, who is a British writer and scholar, explores the idea of heaven and hell a lot. In his book, The Great Divorce, which I highly recommend, he tells a story of ghosts who are in hell but are able to take a bus to heaven. And ultimately, they can stay in heaven. But all of these are choices that they make or don't make for various reasons. And George MacDonald, who, is an, who was an actual writer, but is written into the book as like a spiritual guide of sorts, says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. What if then we have the choice to make heaven or make hell? And in the end, God honors that choice. C.S. Lewis says that hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. What if our choices are the difference between heaven and hell, not just for ourselves, but for everyone? Is a train announcement telling people not to meet the needs of someone standing right in front of them, bringing people closer or further away from God? Is condemning that person to jail because they are in need, creating heaven or hell in this world? Sometimes, and thank you, Pastor Josh, for this, uh, we can get so fixated on hell, on the hell that is to come, that we ignore the hell people are living through or we are creating for them right now? What if in the end, God is simply letting us live in the world that we've made? Tim Keller, who I just recently learned passed away, was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church here in New York City, and he wrote a bunch of books that helped me deepen my faith. And in The Reason for God, he said that modern people inevitably think hell works like this. God gives us time, but if we haven't made the right choices by the end of our lives, he casts our souls into hell for all eternity. As the poor soul falls through space, they cry out for mercy, but God says, too late. You had your chance. Now you will suffer. This caricature misunderstands the very nature of evil. The biblical picture is that sin separates us from the presence of God which is the source of all joy and indeed all love, wisdom, or good things of any sort. Since we were originally created for God's immediate presence, 
Only before his face will we thrive, flourish, and achieve our highest potential. If we were to lose his presence totally, that would be hell. The loss of our capacity for giving or receiving love or joy. So then what if hell and heaven is about our proximity to God and the joy, peace, grace, mercy that comes with being in his presence or lost when we're not? I want to be very clear that God wants us to live abundantly. We are made for joy and love and fullness. Those are gifts that are freely given to us and without condition. And I think we're supposed to give them in the same way. A life without those things is not God's intention for any of us at all. God wants us to be in relationship with him and each other. God wants heaven, always. I think maybe he just lets us choose what we want. So let's say this is not about judgment or condemnation, but about choice. And so then maybe we're neither the sheep nor the goats in this story. The thing they have in common is not seeing the divine in humanity. They were equally confused about when Jesus had ever been hungry, sick, or imprisoned. The sheep's ignorance could be seen as holy. I can imagine them saying, I just did good work for the sake of good work, and I didn't know it was you, Jesus. While the goat presents their ignorance as an excuse, something like, well, if I had known it was you, I would have done differently. But we do know. What if, as listeners, Jesus is telling us exactly who he is, and because of that, we can be neither sheep nor goat? He did not compare himself to the hungry, the stranger, and the imprisoned. He said, I am the hungry, the stranger, the imprisoned. What does it mean then for our faith and how we live it out that our God, who fashioned us in our mother's womb, who is responsible for every good thing, was poor? And we live in a city that criminalizes poverty. What does it mean for our faith or how we live it out that our God was a refugee and we live in a country that uses asylum seekers as pawns in political theater? What does it mean for our faith or how we live it out that our God was imprisoned and we live in a country with the sixth highest incarceration rate in the world? What does it mean for our faith and how we live it out that our God was wrongfully convicted and executed when we live in a state that has the third highest rate of wrongful convictions in the nation. I think we can all agree that the world is a little hellish right now for a multitude of reasons. I mean, the air was literally on fire. Maybe Jesus, through his life, is redirecting our attention on who is important, on what is important, on who we are and what we're called to do on this faith journey. There is a quote that's often used in movement spaces from Lilla Watson, who is an Aboriginal activist, educator, artist, all around badass. And Lilla says, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. 
Jesus proclaimed that his liberation was tied with the liberation of the least of these because he was the least of these. And if Jesus, God made flesh, was the least of these, then certainly we are too. And so when we set the prisoner free, we are setting Jesus free and we are setting ourselves free. When we feed the hungry, we are feeding Jesus and ourselves. When forefront folks are serving and preparing meals with Greenpoint Reform Soup Kitchen, we are serving the body of Christ and we are being the body of Christ. Lutheran pastor John Petty says, if one is interested in the question of when Jesus is coming, the answer is that Jesus never left, has been here all along and is present right now in the little, the least, the lone, and the lost. What if Jesus, through this scripture, is inviting us to join him in salvation work, to bring people into the presence of God, to be the presence of God, to be heaven. He is letting us in on something that neither the sheep nor the goats knew, that there is divinity in humanity. What will we do with this knowledge? Will we look at people differently, talk to them differently, love them differently? Will we look at ourselves differently? Because you are included in that divinity. Jesus identifies with us in our needs, and he wants those needs met. I think in this instance, we can take Jesus pretty literally. Feed the hungry, give the thirsty water, invite the stranger in, clothe the naked, look after the sick, visit the prisoner. This is less about who goes to heaven or hell. It is about being heaven in a hellish world. Gehenna was a real place. Jesus wants us to be concerned with the hell that exists on this side of eternity. And he is inviting us to love the hell out of people, policies and practices. And Forefront has been doing that in some amazing ways. Um, we sent a group of Forefronters to Albany to help pass a bill to end slavery in New York prisons. And although it has not yet passed, we are fighting to get people out of hell. And we will continue to do that. And I'm not saying that any of this is easy. The call is literally countercultural. It is in direct defiance to systems and structures that have been designed to oppress. And it can feel overwhelming and impossible. And sometimes it's just uncomfortable on a personal level. Stranger danger is very real for me, okay? I do not like talking to strangers. So the taking in strangers parts makes me uncomfortable. And I think that's okay. What part of this makes you uncomfortable? Lean into that. Pray about it. Bring it to Kinship Cafe after the sermon. Talk about it in your small group. Seek Jesus in it. And know that the Christian faith is a communal faith. And we are not meant to do any of this alone. As Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And maybe that work is to be heaven. As I mentioned at the top, 
this was the last parable taught before Jesus took the cross. And here at Forefront, we often say that Jesus died not so God could change his mind about us, but so that we would change our mind about God. And as we move into a time of communion, I want to encourage you to reflect on just how much God loves us and how God exists in each and every one of us. So now we invite everyone to join us in front. Uh, we have alcohol-free juice and gluten-free wafers in solidarity with those who are in recovery or have eating restrictions. For folks joining us virtually, please grab your elements as well. And I want everyone to know that everyone is welcome to the table. When you come forward and receive the body and the blood of Christ, please bring it back to your seat and hold on to it so that we can all take it together. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.